The reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let's pray. To whom else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. We pray you would speak your words into our hearts and our minds and our actions, that you would help us to live fruitful lives on the front line where we are. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, it's really good to be with you. Slightly scary, if I'm honest, but uh, lovely to be back. I was trying to think of some really groovy way of starting. I was going to say, now where was I? But I thought that that would probably be a bit cheap. Oh, I've just said it. Anyway, there we are. It is good to be with you. And uh, I think Ben is watching uh, from his sickbed via the power of Zoom. Um, And uh, I'd like to thank him for inviting me uh, to come and speak to you this morning. This one was for him, actually. So if you are listening, Ben, this is for you. Civilization, culture is on the precipice. You may have heard the earth-shattering news that Waddingtons, makers of games that we all know and love, have changed Cluedo. It may come as a big shot, certainly to Ben, because they dropped the Reverend Green. He's uh, yesterday's man, I'm afraid, and he's been replaced by Mayor Green, the new kid on the block. There you go. Who would have thought? Now, it's been said that there is only one question, one question that is worth asking about the Christian faith, and the question is this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, thank you. If the answer is no... Wasted morning. If the answer is yes, and I think we all probably think it's yes, then everything he ever said, every word he ever spoke, is of vital importance. It's not pick and mix. It's not having your own favorite Jesus playlist of things you like that he said. It's not ignoring the bits you don't like. It's not ignoring the bits you don't understand. It's everything he ever said, every single word. C.S. Lewis said, there would be no sense in saying you trusted Jesus if you would not take his advice. And he was right. And our reading this morning from Matthew 5, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, is one of five teaching blocks in Matthew's Gospel. Some scholars think the first one The Sermon on the Mount was the basic training manual for new believers. Keep that in mind. 
The clue to finding these blocks is really simple. You'll find Matthew says, and he stood up and began to teach, and you'll know it's coming to an end when it says something like, and after he had finished saying these things, he sat down. And our block that we've got this morning, chapter 5, ends at the end of chapter 7 with a story we all know really, really well. But it's important because, as always with the Bible, context is king. It's absolutely vital. Everything is in context. And it finishes off, you may remember, with the wise man building his house on rock or building on sand. If you're of a certain age and if you've had children, you may know that little ditty we all used to sing at bedtime. Do you remember that one? The wise man built his house upon the rock. That'll do. The, uh, <laughs> only he didn't. Look at what it says. In Matthew, it actually says something that it's worth hearing. He ends with a real challenge. He's, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and hears the rub, and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on the rock. The wise man did build his house on the rock, but only when he heard what Jesus said and only when he put it into practice. Hearing them is good, but you've got to put them into practice. You can't just have one wing on an airplane. Which words? Well, all the words he's spoken from chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7, block 1 of Matthew. And our words land here in chapter 5, where Jesus says, here are two pictures, really important pictures. You are to be the salt and the light to the world, salt and light. We're to be salt of the earth. What will that mean for you in 2023? It's about being distinct, If salt loses its saltiness, then it's a waste of time. It simply becomes like everything else around it. To be a positive influence, we, like salt, have to be different. We have to be different. And the danger for us is, of course, is conforming to the influences around us, where we start to no longer live distinct lives, and we're simply no different from everyone else around us. Now, you may know the story, which I've always loved, of the police cadet taking his final exam paper at Hendon College, and he heard those words that we've all feared most of our lives, you may turn over your paper now. Remember that? That sense of horror when you did that? And he read this. You're on patrol, and the following events unfold before you. You hear an alarm sound, and you see a man throwing a brick through a jeweler's shop window and making off with the contents. As you're assimilating that, you hear, coming out of the local tube station, 400 very scary-looking men shouting, Millwall, Millwall. As you assimilate that too, right in front of you, a large car crashes into the back of another car. And you look in the back of the car, and you notice it's your chief constable in a compromising position with a woman who is not his wife. What is your course of action? And he thought for a while, and he wrote down, take off uniform and mingle with crowd. (laughs) Now, we find it funny, 
But that is probably the default position of much of the church here in the West. It's not easy speaking truth to culture from a Christian perspective. I was ordained in that wonderful year, 1984. There's a training manual, sorry, a novel written about it that you may have read. In 1984, there was still quite a bit of goodwill towards the church. I'm ordained in the Church of England, so there was a good bit of goodwill towards the Church of England. Thirty years or so later, that has evaporated. On the whole, there's still some of it around, but on the whole, there is now almost open hostility if you say you're a Christian. We've gone from being the moral voice to being exiles. You are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. That doesn't mean the ground. It means the world, the society we're in. And in every society, that means Jesus says, my disciples are the ones who should be bringing out the best in that particular culture and preventing its worst tendencies too. That's a real challenge. But only if we remain salt, which is different for the rest of the culture. And it's hard to do that. How do we show How do we become distinct people? Well, it might simply be acts of kindness in some way. In our current frightening scenario, in the current swell that is rising in our own culture in the last week, that might mean simply if you know someone who is Jewish or you have a Jewish neighbor, go and see if they're all right. Because the chances are they're not. They're probably very afraid. Louise Perry, you may know, is the feminist writer. I've got a lot of time for her, and her latest book is absolutely a tour de force. She's not a Christian believer, though she interacts with a lot of Christians in the social media world. She says that what is happening in the Western world is what she calls the re-paganization of culture. And I think she's right. You get the sense that it's all up for grabs. It's all moving around a little bit. Being distinct, it might mean going against a work culture that could put you on the spot. Gladwis Ledger, a teacher of modern foreign languages at Bishop Justice C of E School in Bromley in Kent, was sacked this week for standing on Christian principles. It might mean speaking up for someone who's being treated badly where you find yourself on the front line. It might simply be being honest in a dishonest culture. It might mean getting involved in local politics or challenging those in power. It might mean no longer being the silent majority and speaking out. It might simply mean getting in touch with an old friend you haven't seen them in ages and inviting them here. And you might think, well, that's very simple. But that could be unbelievably radical and life-changing. Seriously, I'm here as a Christian this morning, first and foremost, and much to my surprise, getting ordained in the Church of England much later in life, because a friend sitting here this morning invited me to a church event all those years ago, and through other pieces of the jigsaw and other people, I came to a living faith in Jesus, because he did that. And you can do that too. He was being distinct, he was being salt, and it produced, I'd like to think, a life-changing event. (laughs) 
though he's deeply depressed that I still support Birmingham City, but not to him. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Some things never change, do they, really? <laughs> well, here's American pastor and writer Russell Moore speaking from a book he wrote some years ago about Augustine of Hippo. Augustine was a real wayward lad. He was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. His mum prayed for him constantly. And to his shock and horror, he eventually became the Bishop of Hippo, a place in the north of Africa. His mum, Monica, prayed for him endlessly. And in theological terms, God got him and changed him. Listen to what Russell Moore says. The next Jonathan Edwards, that's, by the way, the revivalist, not the triple jumper. The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper sticker. The next Charles Wesley might be a profanity-spewing hip-hop artist right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be managing an abortion clinic right now. The next Mother Teresa might be a heroin-addicted porn star right now. The next Augustine of Hippo might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now, just like, come to think of it, the first Augustine of Hippo was. God can do transformative things. Be sought. Be prepared for what God might use you to do. You'll be amazed. You have no idea how life-changing your actions might be, however small you may think them to be. We're now in a non-committal, post-Christian culture that wants meaning without devotion, worship without sacrifice, a culture where the most important thing is me. Me. Look on social media. Go to the cesspit that is Twitter. It is all about me. I don't mean me. I mean me. A culture that wants all the benefits of the kingdom of God, but without the king. That's the culture we live in. And that's the front line where you might find yourself. The reality of every day where we live to follow Jesus. And that is full-time ministry. Wherever you find yourself. Now, life's tough. Life as a Christian is hard when in 30 years we've gone from being the good guys to being the bad guys. Consider one of the greatest modern thinkers, and again, in our current disruptive swell that is happening right now around us, this comes from a Jewish context. It's a quote from the former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, who was a great writer and thinker. And he wrote a book called Future Tense, about 20 years ago, he's at a conference and someone comes up to him and he said this, someone came up to me and said, I appreciate your words, Rabbi, but don't you think you're fighting a losing battle? It was a good question. What I replied was this, yes, the Jewish fight is a losing battle. It always was. Moses lost, Joshua lost, Jeremiah lost, we have striven for ideals just beyond our reach, hoped for a gracious society just beyond the possible, believed in a messianic age just over the furthest horizon, wrestled with the angel and emerged limping, and in the meanwhile, those who won have disappeared. And we're still here, 
still young, still full of vigor, still fighting the losing battle, never accepting defeat, refusing to resign ourselves to cynicism or to give up hope of peace with those who today, as in the past, seek our destruction. That kind of losing battle is worth fighting more than any easy victory or any premature consolation. And it sounds familiar because it's our battle too. That's the experience of Christians, isn't it? And Jesus says, be salt, be salt, be distinct. Because if we don't disciple people, the culture around us will. It simply will. But you're also to be the light of the world. And he gives us that second picture. This is not so much about being distinct, but about being radiant. You are to be radiant believers, shining brightly for God wherever you are and whomever you're with. And the danger, according to Jesus, is that you might hide that light somehow. You might put it under a bushel basket, as it says in, uh, in the verse. Don't conceal the light, because you can conceal it. And I guess we all do it. I've done it loads of times. We all do it. We can conceal the light physically. We're called to have an influence where we are, whatever that may be. It can be in a place of work. It can be as a church volunteer. Wherever we find ourselves, because as I've said, that is full-time ministry. This is the norm surrounded by many people who are not Christians. That's where we are. You are the light of the world. Be radiant where you find yourself. And you can only be the light of the world if you're in the world. As the National Lottery strapline says, you've got to be in it to win it. So you have to be in the world, having an influence among people. We can conceal the light when we conceal it morally. Look at what Jesus says in uh, verse 16, where he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Notice there's a a response to it. What's the light he's talking about? He's talking about breaking the sound barrier and saying something about Jesus. Being a Christian, wherever you find yourself, is about character, action, presence, maybe words, maybe not words, but we're meant to be able to speak out when we need to speak out because we can also verbally conceal the light as well. If we're interacting with our colleagues or those around us in a good way, if we're acting in a moral and upright way, there can be a concealing about our connections to Jesus. We never quite break the sound barrier. So what did you do at the weekend? Well, I cleaned the gutter out. Better not mention I went to church just in case they tar me with the religious nutter brush. But which bit of verse 16 would not take place if you never spoke about Jesus? And praise your Father in heaven. If we never speak about him, then the last phrase, praise your Father in heaven, will never happen. They'll simply think, she's nice. She's really helpful and a lovely person. Oh, he's a really nice guy. Great company. You can always trust them to get the job done or whatever it is. How thoughtful they are. She's the only person who ever asks how we are in the office. Be radiant, says Jesus. 
You have nothing to lose and everything to live for. Believe me. People will listen to you if you speak the simple truth of what you believe. And yet we've made it all so unbelievably difficult and so unbelievably dull. One of my favorite American writers, Christian writers, is a guy you may never have heard of called Robert Capon. He's a fascinating man. He's very unusual. He writes for the New York Times, which is unusual in itself. But he said this. The most critical issues facing Christians is not abortion, pornography, the disintegration of the family, moral absolutes, drugs, racism, sexuality, or anything else, really. The critical issue today is dullness. We've lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. He goes on and says this, what happened to radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire? and was considered by those in power dangerous. What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? And then he says this, I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart, that makes me feel uncomfortable, I want a faith that is considered dangerous by our predictable and monotonous culture. That's pretty mind-blowing, don't you think? For a vicar? <laughs> or in other words, if you want a simple version, be salt and be light. Because that's what he's saying. The story of God is more beautiful, more profound, more scandalous, more disruptive, and more humanizing than all we've tried to do to it over the centuries. Jesus is alive. He did rise from the dead. His words are worth hearing. And there's a whole world that is dying to hear that. I always used to say, I may have said it here, who knows, many moons ago, when it was all fields around here, It's one thing to go to the restaurant. It's another thing to find out you're on the menu. You're on the menu if you follow him. Be salt. Be light. Be radical. Kierkegaard once said, everyone admires Jesus, but Jesus didn't call admirers. He called disciples. So are you in this morning for being salt and light? Are you into being distinctive? Are you into being radiant? They're his words, and we have to take them seriously. We have to hear them, and we have to put them into practice. Is that what you want? I hope so. For he is our only hope. Let's pray.
I'm going to use a prayer that was written many, many, many years ago, attributed, if true, to Francis Drake, of all people. It's like all prayers. If you agree with it, when you get to the end, say amen. If you're unsure, don't. Let's pray. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we've ceased to dream of eternity, and in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Amen. Thank you so much, Nige. That, uh, yeah, that was really challenging, really powerful. But um, like uh, Nige said, it's no good just hearing it. We have to put the words into practice. So I just want to take a few minutes to think about the places where we're going to be tomorrow or throughout the week and to consider what ways that God might be calling us to impact the culture of the places where we're on that front line. So just take a few minutes to think through, think about what Nigel said, and see what that means for the places where we're going to be this week. How can we be putting Jesus' words into practice? And because we can't do it on our own, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to you as we go into our workplaces, our volunteering spaces, our families, or wherever it is that you have called us to be your salt and light this week. Father, help us to live being radiant and being distinctive and being willing to change the culture, to bring you into those places, to see your glory, your kingdom, your will be done in the places that you have put us. And so we pray that your spirit might embolden us to be salt and light, wherever that is. And so we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.